Hey, this is David Perkins, pastor of Radiant Church. Thanks so much for checking out our podcast. I hope and I pray that the content helps you grow as a follower of Jesus. We'd love to see you at one of our services on Sundays or maybe at our Bold Conference this summer. Remember this, those who look to Him are radiant. All right, good morning. Hey, it's so good to be with you. Um, I, I'm really honored to be here. I've been good friends with uh, Dave for a number of years, and I uh, would like to say maybe he's my pastor. I'd love it if Dave would be my pastor. I need, a, yes, I need more pastor, pastors in my life. And uh, I've heard, you know, this church plant uh, two and a half years ago, you know, there's a group of us that, like Dave said, get together, and we're cheering him on, you know, believing for this and what God was going to do. So it is such an honor to be here after hearing about you for a number of years and just hearing about the amazing things God is doing. It is, it is really Really an immense honor to be here. I was uh, in Toronto this morning at uh, 3.30 in the morning, uh, catching a flight on the way here to be with you today, and uh, I, I on, honestly, I'm honored. I just feel so honored. I love, love, love the Perkins and uh, what they're doing here. I'd go, I'd fly anywhere to serve and to be a part of what they're doing. And uh, today, I, I want to just jump in uh, right away, if that's okay with you guys. You guys good? Just jumping in right away? Good. Well, uh, in way of many, many, many introduction, I, I've been working with Youth of the Mission for the last 20-some years and, uh, and been married for 19 years. I have six children, which just means I'm completely drowned um, all the time. And uh, they are awesome, though, and, and we love what we get to do. We love the nations, love what God's doing in America, love what God's doing internationally. And I just want to start off by saying, and I know you know this, but we truly live in the most exciting hour of all of human history. There has never been a greater hour to be alive. There's never been a greater hour of great commission history than we are experiencing right now. And many of you, I'm guessing, are from around this area. Many of you maybe even spent majority of your life in this area. And yet I know that you know, and I know that you're hearing that God is on the move in the nations like never before in history. Never. You're the first generation in all of human history. I don't know if you know this, to wake up in the morning to a radical remnant of believers in every country on earth. You are the first generation. You're the first generation to wake up in the morning and that there is a sincere, zealous, dedicated group of believers in every single nation on earth. Now, not every people group, but every nation on earth has believers in it today for the first time in history. 2,000 years of salvation history and we're the ones to wake up in the morning to literally zealous, on fire, sold out, dedicated believers in every nation on earth. I get to work with... Uh, Warren Cunningham, who's the founder of YWAM, and he's 83 years old, and I don't even know where he is right now. He's flying somewhere. Uh, he is absolutely stuck in fifth gear, and he will, he will drive it right off the cliff. And, uh, and, and he is zealous as he's ever been. He's literally been to every single nation on earth. And it's so fun to be with him because, you know, people will often say things, maybe when they're motivating people towards the nations or the lost, and they'll say things like, hey, there are no known believers in maybe the Maldives, you know, a little island nation off the coast of India. And Lauren will lean over and be like, I led 10 to the Lord myself there in 1979. And then someone will be like, there are no known believers in the name another nation. And he'll be like, I snuck into that nation in the trunk of a car in the 80s, I believe. And there was a small group of believers thriving. And you just realize when you're with him, literally every nation on earth today, right now, as we worship here in the middle of America, in the heartland, 
in Kansas City, as we are here. Are we in Kansas City? Yes? Okay, just making sure. I, I knew we were close. There's some border here, Kansas and Missouri. I don't get it all, right? I'm from Alaska originally. I live in Hawaii now. This is like the mainland. It's another, it's another country to me. Here we are in Kansas City, and what we don't realize as we worship this morning is literally in every nation on earth, they are worshiping today. Every nation on earth is worshiping today, and, not, and no generation before us could have said that. Also, we're crossing finish lines in remarkable ways right now across the earth. And some of the places historically that have been most close to the gospel are now considered some of the fastest growing movements of Christianity on the earth. In fact, many would say that the fastest growing church in the world right now is in Iran, which years ago would not have been true at all. And it would be said similar of the Himalayas, a region that 20, 30 years ago had very few believers is exploding with signs, wonders, miracles, gospel proclamation, church planting movements in the midst of persecution. God is moving in remarkable ways all over the earth. I want to tell you one more thing. Uh, I was just recently in Malaysia a couple weeks ago, and uh, we were gathering teams from closed nations all over the world that we've sent out over the last five or six years. And these are teams of 25 and 26 and 27-year-olds. These are young couples with children, and they've just given their lives to these nations that they're living in. They've learned the language or they're learning the language. They're seeing so much fruit. And I was stunned sitting there with all these teams from the Arab Gulf, from the Middle East, from the Himalayas, from the subcontinent of India, from all over the world all with the same testimony. And this is what I want to share with you today. All with the same testimony. The harvest is ripe. And it doesn't matter what area of the world they're in, they're declaring the same thing. The harvest is ripe. The harvest is ripe. The harvest is ripe. We are living in a day like we have never lived in before. My hope today in our few short minutes together today is that you would just gain courage for what God is doing across the earth. You would gain courage. And in the midst of that courage, you would also know that God is not leaving America behind and he is not leaving the Western world behind. But we as well are on the midst of another great awakening. We are right now in the midst of crossing a threshold that I believe we've already crossed into another great awakening in this nation. It's time for another Jesus movement in America. And part of what burns in our hearts is that out of this awakening that I believe is already touching America, uh, just hearing testimonies all the time, literally we have teams in every continent of the earth right now, as well as teams that are spread out across America. And again, the testimonies are the same. They're turning university fountains into baptismals because students on university universities are so hungry for God. They might be resistant to religion, but they're longing for a Messiah. They're longing for a Savior. And in the midst of this awakening that we're experiencing as a nation, I also believe, and I think you believe as well, that the greatest missions movement in the history of America is still ahead of us. Because though there might be believers in every nation on earth, there are still close to three billion people on the earth that will go to bed tonight, never one time having heard the gospel in their lives. And here we are in America, surrounded by the gospel, surrounded by more Bibles than we know what to do with, surrounded by more resources and churches and Christians than we even understand. It's everywhere around us. And yet tonight, tonight, when we go to bed, three billion others will go to bed, never one time having heard the name of Jesus. And it is our immense privilege to be a part of the greatest harvest in all of human history. 
as these billions are exposed to the gospel in the years and the decades that are ahead of us. And it is our great privilege, perhaps, in this generation that not only every nation would hear and have the gospel, but that every remaining people group on the earth would hear the gospel and have a radical remnant of believers. And could it be that in this generation, Revelation chapter 7, every tribe, every tongue, Every, tr- every people and every nation are represented before the throne, worshiping God. Could it be this generation? Could it be that the very term unreached is the greatest blemish on the report card of Christianity? That 2,000 years after Jesus died, rose again, ascended to heaven, that the term unreached still exists? Could it be that we would have the privilege of erasing that term from the earth? And that every people, every tribe, every tongue would have the gospel in this generation. I believe that's the hour that we live in. Do any of you agree with that hour? Do you? Okay. I'm in the right room. Here we go. I'm going to jump into the scriptures real quick. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. And I want to illustrate something in the Bible here in the life of Jesus that I believe is a word for us today as the body of Christ. And I think it's particularly important for us to understand this even in the Western world, to understand our role in this global rollout, this global harvest that is occurring right now. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 It says, uh, I'm just going to take you into the story a little bit. It says, Jesus went through all the towns, the villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Chapter 10, verse 1, Jesus calls the 12 disciples to himself. He gives them authority to drive out impure spirits, to heal every disease and sickness. He sends them out and essentially they become the answer to his prayer in Matthew chapter 9, verse 37, 38. So I want to I dive into this story a little bit. You guys have, you have it in you to just jump into this story a little bit and, and, and go with Jesus on a journey into what he's experiencing right here. You guys have, have that in you this morning? I may need to know what time it is or I may get carried away. Is this thing going to tell me at some point when I should stop? Are you going to do, do that when I should stop? That, you go like this when I should stop? The power cuts, the mic goes off. Is that how it rolls here? I get it. Pastor said we're done. <laughs> I'll just start shouting. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Okay, well, tell me when I'm done, Dave, because I don't really know even what time it is. Uh, Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. I want you to, I, I want you to get the scene here because to, to understand how profound Jesus' words are, we have to understand what Jesus saw. We have to understand what Jesus felt. We have to understand the setting that Jesus was in. Otherwise, we read these words like, unfortunately, we oftentimes read much of the word without a real understanding of the passion, the grit, the zeal that's in the text when we understand the context of what's occurring. Jesus comes to life and he moves from like a, you know, a veggie tale to a real man when we really dive into this as the living word, when we dive into this and let, instead of us just reading it, we let it read us. And instead of just kind of studying the text, we begin to dive into the author of the text, who's the only author in all of history, who wrote a book who will never die. And when we allow that author to begin to speak to us out of his living word, then his words, his, what he declares, what he says, and what he does has even more power to bring life to us, to activate us, to awaken us, to live the very life that he died to release. It says here, Jesus went through the towns, villages, teaching in their synagogues. What's he seeing? 
Well, it's, set, it's believed that by all historic context of the scriptures here, that 70% of the common person in the time of Jesus lived in poverty. Seven out of every 10 people is living below the poverty line. As Jesus is walking through the towns and the villages of his day, he is seeing immense poverty everywhere he goes. And then it says he goes into the synagogues. Now, the synagogues were not a place where Jesus walked in the back and he is like, the worship is lit in here. He's not walking in the back going, my gosh, the presence in this synagogue is powerful. He's not walking into an on fire youth group in the synagogue of his day. He's not walking in and going, my gosh, the worship is passionate. The preaching is on fire. This place is in revival. No, what do we know of the synagogue of Jesus's day? He's walking in and it is mostly dead religion. He's walking in and it is mostly legalism. It is mostly striving. It is the letter of the law. It is trying to obtain a form of personal righteousness. So as Jesus walks the streets of his day, he is surrounded by poverty. It's everywhere. He's in the churches of his day and it is filled with legalism and dead religion. Then he goes on further. It says he's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and he is healing every disease and sickness, which is remarkable. But in order to heal every disease and sickness, you've got to be around every disease and sickness. And what we don't often read into the text here is I don't know if we picture like this nice, clean, sterile environment where Jesus is coming with a little dab of oil, you know, a little dabber of oil and putting it on their foreheads and be healed, be healed, be healed. And, you know, a nice healing line with tape that they're lined up on. No, he's walking the streets of his day and they are filled with people with incurable illnesses, chronic illnesses, difficult illnesses. If you've ever walked the streets of a developing nation, even today, you will find areas of every city where people are lining the streets with incurable illnesses, terminal illnesses, begging for money because it's their only form of livelihood. And those streets, if you walk down them, are overwhelming in every single sense of the word. Even those of us believers, you and I, that know that we have the power to heal the sick, can be overwhelmed at the sight of the brokenness of these streets that are lined with the sick. In Jesus' day, they're not in nice sterile hospitals. They're lining the streets, they're begging for their livelihood, and they are terminally ill, chronically ill, with difficult diseases. You've got to know that Jesus sees it, that Jesus smells it, that Jesus hears it, and this scene is an overwhelming scene, and the only hope is the man who's bringing healing on the streets. But in order to bring healing on the streets, you've got to be around the sick on the streets. So as Jesus walks that day, he is not only seeing poverty, he's not only aware of the religious environment of the church of his day, but now he's on the streets and he is overwhelmed by the amount of sickness, the amount of brokenness that is all around him. It goes on and says, now he has compassion on them. Why? Because when he saw the crowds now, he looks out at the masses of the people and he says they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Poverty, sickness, dead religion. And he looks out at the masses, the common person, the streets of his day, and he goes, my gosh, they are leaderless. They are living in chaos. They are living in confusion. 
They are like sheep with no shepherd. They are wandering, wandering around trying to find their own sustenance. They're wandering around trying to find their own refreshment. Those were the masses of his day. We also know from biblical context that Jesus lived in one of the most racially divided hours in history where essentially everybody hates everybody else. And the sectarianism, the racism is off the charts in Jesus's day. It's the division between the Jews and the Gentiles, between the Jews specifically and the Samaritans. You have oppression and you gotta understand this at almost every level. We, we cannot even fathom the amount of oppression that was going on in Jesus' day. Essentially, every person you would see was being oppressed by someone else. Unless you were a Roman leader, you were being oppressed by someone else. Rome is oppressing pretty much every other nation. The religious leaders are oppressing the main followers of Judaism. The Jews are oppressing the Samaritans. The men are oppressing the women. And the adults are oppressing the children. Everybody's oppressed. So you got to know that. You got to take it in. You got to realize what Jesus saw, what he felt, what he smelled, what, what, what uh, sights filled his eyes as he walked those streets that day. Poverty, division, racism, confusion, oppression, dead religion, which makes it so profound that he looks at all of that and his declaration, the harvest is ripe. The harvest is ripe. He looks at all of this brokenness and goes, oh, all of this is a longing for a Messiah. He goes, the harvest is ripe. All I need are laborers who will believe it. And you realize as Jesus says this in this setting, and on top of all of that to the very nation that's about to crucify the son of God. And he looks out and goes, ripe, ripe. And you realize that throughout all of history, it has never been an issue of ripeness. It has always been an issue of harvesters. It has always been an issue of laborers. As if Jesus looks down at any city in our nation, any inner city in our city, any nation in the earth and says something like too hard, too dark. Those are terms that we have made up. As if hard and dark exists in the vocabulary of God. If there was ever a setting to call too hard and too dark, it was this one. And yet Jesus proclaims over the streets of his day, the harvest is ripe. But are there any laborers who believe me? How much more does God look out at the nations of the earth today? And is he looking down at North Korea going, too hard, too dark? Is he looking down at the Middle East going, I know my mighty right arm is powerful, but not that powerful. Is he looking down at your family going, my gosh, I don't know how to untangle all of that. Or is he God? And is he high above? And is he able? And is the gospel powerful? And is there hope for every situation on the earth? Have you ever watched the news? In, I know you have. And, 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 and you looked at it and got a little overwhelmed. Come on, all right? Woke up in the morning. Instead of running to the word and heaven's perspective, we ran to news way too fast. We let Instagram affect our perspective more than heaven affects our perspective. And we allow the news, which we shouldn't even call the news. We should call it the bad news because that's all it is. They should just literally call it, watch the bad news because that's all it is. It's just bad news. For, for some reason, we like bad news more than good news. Maybe we should boycott bad news and they'd have to report good news. And have you ever watched that and gotten a little overwhelmed and thought, my gosh, what do we do? Have you ever said to yourself, what are they going to do next? Fill in the blank with who they are, right? What are they going to do next? If you're a little bit older, you're like millennials. 
what is the, what are the millennials going to do next? If you're a millennial, you're like Z's, Gen Z. They, have they lost their minds? Right, if you find yourself in this group or that group or that group, we read the news and we go, what are they going to do next? Sinners. My gosh. How do they act like a man they've never met? How can we expect the world to pattern their lives after a man they've never been introduced to? And at times we allow the news to actually shape our perspectives on how the kingdom of God is moving. And we can get overwhelmed by it. We can get overwhelmed by governmental decisions, overwhelmed by societal decisions, overwhelmed by immoral decisions, overwhelmed by all that's going on around us. And in the midst of it all, Jesus is declaring the harvest is ripe. The harvest is ripe. He had a lens that he saw through called hope, called power, called the gospel has never met a situation it couldn't break through called the gospel has never met a heart that was too hard for transformation, called nothing has ever been out, ex, outside the extent of God's mighty right arm. And he looks at every situation. Do you think that he reads the headlines of America and is like, Psh, what are they going to do next? Or does he read the headlines of America and go, my gosh, every manifestation of evil is a cry for a savior. Every ounce of brokenness is a longing for a Messiah. And the harvest is ripe and all I need are laborers who actually believe it. He goes on from there and he does something absolutely historic. First of all, he paints a picture, a lens of hope in the midst of any difficulty. And you got to know today, this morning, he says it over your family. He says it over your situation. He says it over your circumstance that you feel is impossible. God just doesn't know any impossibilities. And imagine if we woke up in the morning and looked every difficulty in the face and declared ripeness over it. Imagine if we put on the lens and the perspective of heaven and looked out at our nation or the nations of the earth and saw what God saw. Second thing here is he does something absolutely historic. And I'll say two more quick things here. Is the second thing is he, is he looks out at the need. He looks out at the opportunity. He does something that literally shifts all of human history right here. Because you got to know for thousands of years when God wants to move, he does it primarily through one of three types of people. He raises up a king, as we read about throughout the kings and the scriptures, the life of David, Solomon, many others. Or he raises up a prophet, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, go through the list, Elijah, Elisha. Or he raises up a priest, a priest who would stand before him. But in most of the entire old covenant history, you have the history of God primarily moving through a priest, a prophet, or a king. But here in Matthew chapter 9, he changes history forever. He looks out at the massive need. And he goes, I'm going to do something far more dangerous than I've ever done before. I'm going to do something far more powerful than I've ever done before. I don't need a priest. I'm not looking for a prophet. And I don't need a king. I'm going to raise up the everyday common believer and fill him with my uncommon spirit and from this day forward, I'm going to use everyday people to change human history. And he commissions these 12, like you and I, with some insecurities, some immaturities. He commissions these 12 with some issues of ambition. He commissions these 12 that are young, really young, some of them. He grabs a hold of these 12 and he goes, none of you are resume worthy. None of you are the cream of the crop. None of you were the varsity starters. He goes, but I'm shifting history from this day forward. And I'm using the everyday common person to change history. 
And he commissions those 12 to walk in the authority and the power of God. And because of it, we sit in these chairs today. And because of it, we sit in these chairs today as the solution for the crisis of our hour. There's not another room. There's not another group we're waiting for. There's not someone with a microphone. There's not the, the perfect band that writes the perfect song that brings Jesus back. It's not the perfect gathering in the right setting with the right stadium and the right E minor chord and the right lights and the right fog machine that all of a sudden ushers in global revival. It's you and I waking up in the morning filled with the spirit of God, filled with the hope of heaven, believing that it's our simple obedience that actually shifts human history. So often we look at our cities and go, man, we need an evangelist here. No, no, you are the evangelist. Man, wouldn't it be great if we had some missionaries here? You are the missionary. Look in the mirror. You just found one. So often we look at the brokenness of our situation and go, man, if we could just get so-and-so here, this thing would be transformed. No, you are so-and-so from now on. There isn't someone else. God is empowering the everyday believer to be the solution in the crisis of our hour. And the last thing that Jesus does in this story is it says he moves with great compassion. This, what we're believing for across our nation and in the nations of the earth is not going to be solved on whiteboards. It's not going to be solved because we started a new program that finally changed the world. It's not going to be solved because we had the right logo and the right branding and the right language. No, no, no. The solution has always been the everyday common person filled with hope, walking in love and compassion. There is a baptism of love that is going to come on the church that is going to compel us to go anywhere for the sake of the gospel, anywhere for the sake of the gospel. I had the privilege of standing in a couple stadiums over the last several years and calling young people of all ages, really, if you're willing to go anywhere for the sake of the gospel, I mean anywhere. I mean, you might lose your life. You might not. You might have to quit your job. You might not have to. But if you are willing to literally say, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And that the reason the Son of Man came was to destroy the works of the enemy. And that the reason the Son of Man came was to seek and save the lost. If you are willing to follow in those footsteps, then would you stand up, take your shoes off, put them above your head. And I have watched as thousands and thousands of people symbolically have held their shoes above their head and said, God, I will go anywhere. And over the last number of years, almost everywhere I go, any nation from Turkey to Nepal to different parts of the world, someone will come up to me and we say, hey, you don't know me but I raised my shoes in that stadium and I live in the Middle East now because of it. Because I said yes to Jesus and I said yes to going anywhere for the sake of the gospel because it's not okay that I go to bed tonight and 77 million Turks have still never heard the gospel. And I'm watching as God is invigorating a generation to go, whether it's my neighbor or whether it's the nations, the answer is yes, God. I am here to seek and save the lost with compassion, with love. It was a number of years ago, I would say four or five, that I went to the Himalayas um, on a scouting trip for a project that we were developing there. And I took my son, who was nine at the time, and my dad, who was like 67 at the time. And the three of us, along with a number of friends, who just began to trek, uh, flew into a super sketchy remote airport, absolutely the sketchiest flight I've ever been on in my life. Half the instrument panels didn't work. They did not care. And, and, and we land in this remote airport and we begin to trek and uh, begin to hike for hours and hours and hours. And I'm just stunned with like one sense going like, look at my son, look at my dad. They're crushing. I'm like, dad, please don't die out here. Like this, we are in the middle of nowhere. Like take a breath. Let's take a rest here. My nine-year-old son's like running ahead of us because he's nine. And uh, we, we are in this remote, remote Himalayan region. I mean, so remote. We have flown, we, you know, flown across 
the ocean. We've now flown to this remote mountain town, and now we are trekking. And, and if, you've ever, uh, if you've ever done any hiking on, on mountains, there's something super uh, demonic called a false peak. And, and it's like you think you're there, and then you're, 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 not, you're not even halfway there. And you finally, you're like, we're there. Look, we're rounding the top. And you're like, oh, my Lord Jesus. Lay hands on my father right now, Dad. You can make this. I know you can make it in. I don't know if you can make it out. And, 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 and we we've kept hitting these false peaks all day long. We, I don't know how long we trekked, 10, 11, 12 hours that day. We left in the morning, and it's finally the sun is setting, and we are coming down to our final village. The, the, actually, the village we'd been hiking to for the whole day. We didn't know how big it was. We didn't really even know where it was. We just knew if we stayed on this trail, we would eventually get there. And we're not passing other villages on the way there. This place is in the middle of nowhere. And so there's an anticipation all day long as you're eating like your 37th like granola bar of the day. And there's this anticipation. We're doing all of this for the loss that we're about to encounter to hear the gospel for the first time. We're doing all this for this village that we're about to see. And I'll never forget the moment we rounded the final real top, the real top. And we finally get to the real top and we look down after hours and hours and hours of hiking to the village that we've been hiking to the entire time down in this beautiful little valley. And that village is six homes. And I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> we hiked all this way. We flew all this way. We did all this. I have pounds of Bibles in my backpack. And you're telling me we came all this way for those six houses. And I remember looking down on that and it's this immediate sense of God's love, his compassion, his heart. And I felt like I had a gift in that moment. I had one little tiny drop of Jesus's love that made him leave heaven for the brokenness of humanity and the willingness to put on flesh forever and ever and ever because of his love for us in the midst of our lostness and brokenness. And I'm telling you, it was one tiny tiny, tiny little drop, but it was a drop. And I looked down at those six homes and I thought to myself, this is so worth it. They are so worth it. And we hiked into that village. We showed the Jesus film. We gave them little Bibles and, and audio Bibles in their language. They couldn't read for the first time in their lives. They are hearing the name Jesus. Have you ever had the privilege being the first exposure that someone has ever even heard the name Jesus? I hope every one of you has that privilege someday. They've never heard his name. And we give him these audio Bibles. They're listening to it. I'll never forget the man that we stayed with. We slept on his floor and, and uh, we give him this audio Bible. And the, this is a remote village. This is in the middle of nowhere. And he's listening to the story of Zacchaeus and his eyes and his face just begin to light up as he hears about a God who loves the forsaken who hears about a God who loves the outcast. And he's just, it's like all tears on the verge of flowing out of his eyes, just huge, bright eyes, as for the first time in his life, he realizes there's a God who loves him. And we go on from there. He doesn't like give his life to Jesus on the spot. And that wasn't something we were trying to push. You just really want that to come because of a real decision, right? Something where they really come to revelation. And so we went next day, we hiked to the next village, the next village after that, doing the same thing. It was a remarkable journey. But it was about a year later that the group that paid for and financed all the Bibles that we were distributing, they sent a media team to follow up on this trips that were now occurring in this remote region because there was so much fruit occurring. In fact, they had all these 
stories where they were on the trail and someone from would stop them and be like, hey, what are you doing here? And they'd be like, we're just here, you know, talking about Jesus. And, and then the, the guy who would stop them, who was a local, would say, are you serious? He goes, someone came into my village a year ago and they healed a blind man in my village in the name of their God, Jesus. And he said, can you tell me more about this God named Jesus? And they were hearing all these remarkable testimonies that had occurred from the last year of sending teams in this remote area. And they go to this this village with the six homes. And they're interviewing, they're getting stories, they're just capturing images. They just wanna see what is the fruit of leaving the Bible, the word of God in the hearts and the homes of these people. And so it's maybe months later, my friend comes to me and goes, bro, you're not gonna believe it. Check out the, the publication they did out of this trip. And I, they hands me the magazine and on the front cover of the magazine is the man whose home we'd stayed in, who had heard the story of Zacchaeus. And not only is it a picture of him, it's a picture of him with a giant basket of Bibles on his back because he got radically saved and he's now distributing the word of God all over his region because he was so moved by the words of God. He was in that same area that we sent a team in a remote, remote area and they got snowed into a village. These are 18, 19 year olds. They stay with the, the leader of another faith in his home. He's so excited that foreigners are in his village that he literally takes them to every single home in his village to give them Bibles. He's just so excited they're there. And he's not a Christian. They finish this. They show the Jesus film. Tons of people get healed. Tons of people get saved. They go back to his house. It's that night. It snows so much. They can't leave his house. They can't hike to the next village. They spend all day with him. And by the end of the day, he and his entire family give their lives to Jesus. They give him a little audio Bible in his language. Now you got to get this. And he literally does not sleep a minute that night. Not one minute. He pulls an all-nighter listening to the gospels for the first time in his life. How many of you know salvation is authentic when you pull an all-nighter with the scriptures? There is so much hunger for God. There's so much hunger for redemption. There is so much hunger, and it's not just in the Himalayas, not just in the Middle East, it's in the neighborhoods of our communities right around us. That people just like that man waiting for the gospel, waiting for a church activated, waiting for believers who would seek and save the lost just like Jesus, waiting for believers who would move in compassion and love and be compelled to go anywhere for the sake of the gospel, waiting for believers that can look any difficulty in the face and declare ripe. The harvest is ripe. The harvest is ripe. And I want to end with this last passage. And uh, this, is, this is for you. You are in the formation of your early days of forming this community, this church, this remarkable community that God is pioneering here. And what an honor to come in sort of your foundational years and be able to share anything with you. But as I was praying for you this morning, the Lord spoke to me out of this passage, and I'm going to end with this, and I want to pray this over you, and I want us to pray it together if we can today is I think the Lord wants to mark you with this from your very inception. See, there are a lot of churches in America. There aren't as many churches that are transforming their community. There are a lot of churches in America. There are not as many churches that are tackling the foster care system of their town. There are a lot of churches in America. There are not as many churches that have their eyes on the least reached of the earth. There are a lot of churches in America and a lot of really well-run services in America, but not as many that are more concerned about what happens outside the doors as they are what happens inside the doors. 
There are a lot of churches in America that are operating a little more like the pool of Bethesda. If you can get in here, you might get touched by God. When in reality, the church is meant to be like Ezekiel's river. When we tabernacle together, we get touched by the presence and the power of God. So that when we leave here, the river of healing goes everywhere we go. The river of the gospel goes everywhere we go. Now, I believe from the very foundation, because I know Dave and I know his heart, that this would be a place that would be known for transforming its community, for touching the lives of the lost, for a willingness to go anywhere for the sake of the gospel, for an unwillingness to live a safe Western Christian life, an unwillingness, an all-out refusal, a stubborn rebellion towards the safe, comfortable Christian life. I know that's who you are. I know that's why you're here. And I want to pray this into the very foundations of your community in Romans chapter 14, 15. And I'll end with this. Paul says, he gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. We think of our priestly role as worshiping God, and of course that is a massive part of our priestly role. But Paul understood it was his priestly duty and privilege to proclaim the gospel to those that had not heard. He says, therefore I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except to what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I've said and what I have done. Verse 19, by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, listen to this, I have fully, everyone say fully, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum, which is like modern day Albania, all, all the way through you know, Israel into Lebanon, into Turkey, into Syria, across all of Turkey, through Greece, all the way around. Jesus, Paul goes, I proclaim the gospel everywhere. He goes, I, I literally have covered entire nations with the priestly proclamation of the gospel. He says, it has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I not be building on someone else's foundation. Verse 22, this is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. He's writing to the church in Rome. The church in Rome is the conference center of the early church, has the best worship teams, the best speakers, the best gatherings, the best buildings, the best everything. That's Rome. And Paul looks at it and goes, you know what? I really wanted to come see you but you had too many Christians. He goes, I was hindered from coming to you because of my longing to take the gospel where it had not been heard. And my prayer for you is in the very foundation of your church, which I just believe is built on the glory of God. I know your leaders and I believe it's been built on the glory of God and in the very foundations where you find yourself in Kansas City, of course, with churches all around you, is I promise you there are thousands in this city that are still waiting for the gospel. That there are dorm rooms across the city that have never heard the gospel. There are neighborhoods left untouched by the gospel. And I promise you too, that this church has an inheritance in the nations of the earth. And my prayer over you, you might hate me for this prayer. You might be like, please don't ever bring that guy back, Pastor Dave. Please, I'm going to pray that God would hinder you from the easy places and he would compel you to the places where the gospel has not yet come. Whether it's the neighborhood down the road or whether it's the far-flung nations of the earth, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit would hinder you 
out of his ambition that every tribe, tongue, and nation would someday worship before the throne. So would you stand with me? And I'll hand this over to Dave after I pray. But if you're, if you're willing to allow the Lord to do this in your heart, would you just put your hands out in front of yourself just as a posture of receiving? It's just nothing special about it. It's just a posture. It's symbolic. The Lord knows your heart. And if you want this, this to be true of your life, you want to be infected with a passion for the nations and a passion for the lost, passion for the neighborhoods right down the street, a passion for the high schools in your town, the universities, a passion for the children in the foster care system, a passion for the neighborhoods that others have said too hard, too dark, that you're going to declare ripe harvest field over. So Lord, I pray right now in the very foundations of this community, God, in the very bedrock of this community, built on your glory and built on a love for you. Father, I'm asking by your grace, would you hinder us? Would you hinder us from easy Christianity? Would you hinder us from safe living? Would you hinder us, God? from just enjoying the glow of other believers. I pray, hinder us, God, and compel us to the places in our city and the places in our nation and the places in the nations of the earth that are still waiting for the gospel. God, I pray in this community, hinder us and send us, God. Hinder us and send us. Whether it's the unreached in our workplace, our neighborhood, our high school, or the nations, hinder us from the easy places and draw us into the places that are ripe for your harvest, God. In Jesus' name, Jesus' name. We should put your hand on your heart. Father, we ask, Lord Jesus, that this would go deep into our foundation. God, for decades, even generations in the future, we ask that love would compel us. Father, I ask, Lord Jesus, that this prophetic message, this message to not live in comfort, but to care like you care, would go deep in me and deep in us as a church. God, I ask for a supernatural moment today beyond what we can see, beyond what we can even feel. God, would these seeds go deep into the soil of our church that bear fruit. Would you just ask the Lord, just, just real simple, mark me, God. I want to be compelled, not safe. Make me a laborer declare the gospel my city my generation and wherever you take me if you're here this morning and the good news of who Jesus is is just convicting your heart today and you want to follow him I want to invite you to step over that line of faith and if you've never said yes to Jesus today, I want to invite you to make that decision. And you can do that by just coming before him and repenting, just coming before him and opening up your heart. And I invite you just standing there today. Would you look to God and just say, Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus and I give you my life. I step over this line of faith and I come to you. Save me and heal me and change me and give me new life in Jesus.
I give you my life. I'm yours, God. In Jesus' name, amen.